Hello, TTV community. I am Bob Domena, and here with me, as always, is the very meddlesome Elliot Shibley. Ah. Elliot, yeah, what's going on, Elliot? What do we have today in our in our uh, advertising slash partnerships? Well, we're not advertising anything because we believe in oh, everything yeah. we we believe in everything we say or promote because they're all stuff that is appropriate for the show, and we technically don't get paid by any of them. Technically, we do not get paid at all. Yeah, we're we're actually making <laughs> negative money on this show. Yeah, <laughs> just think about that. All of the time we've dedicated over the last year, and we don't make any money for our own enjoyment and for the enjoyment of our listeners. Yes. So check out Mini Man of Memories. They are a partner that we joined up with in January. They're a blogging platform for travelers who want to share their stories but don't have any, don't have a platform of their own. With that being said, we've actually talked with many. Mini Man of Memories passengers, and they've been wonderful guests on our show, and we've actually shared some guests for Mini Van of Memories themselves. Little Passports is a monthly subscription for curious kids or adults who love the world, and each month a new package is sent containing new activities, souvenirs, or projects from different locations around the globe. Travel by Locals is someone we also recently partnered with, and they're like Airbnb but for travel guides. They provide a website so you can reach out to real locals who spend their free time hosting tours for you. Lastly, we have been offering a free 30-day Audible trial for anybody that wants to sign up, wants to test the waters, dip their toes, and best part is if you don't like it, you can cancel it after the 30 days are up, don't have to pay anything, and you get to keep the book. Yeah, pretty sweet deal. The links for all of that are in our website. Um... All right, so today's guest. So today's guest, actually, I think he holds the record for the nicest mustache we've had on the show so far. Yes, and unfortunately, we did not get any pictures, but maybe on our social media, we will have well, pictures. Right, when we share pictures of, um, you know, the ones that he provides us, hopefully he has the mustache in it. So Yes, make sure actually, to comment on it. <laughs> comment on the mustache. He reached out to us, actually, via email. Um, he is the founder of a company called Coast to Costa, not Costa. As some of you English speakers may think, uh, it, it, I think it, that's just you. It reads as so. It's a travel company, and, and it brings people to countries like Peru, Mexico, Spain, and Cuba. And Spanish themed, yeah, Spanish themed countries. Uh, our focus today was actually on Cuba, and we had a really informative and oftentimes hilarious <laughs> conversation uh, on on all there is to know about traveling to to, to Cuba from uh, the currency exchange to uh, exploring outside of Havana really cool really really cool conversation really cool guy and uh, and this was basically a an a expansion upon our episode from last year with Maggie when she visited Cuba for a few days with her then fiance Right, yeah. So it's pretty cool because you know here we talk with 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 our guest Andrew, um, who gives us the perspective of an operating a tour company, whereas Maggie was you know just a normal person just traveling on her own to Havana. So it was really neat to see it from two different sides. Now tons of information, really good podcast for those of you who are interested in traveling to Cuba in the near future, um, and I would recommend reaching out to Andrew if you are ready to do so. So without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Andrew of Coast to Costa. Welcome. 
Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Andrew, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, around this time last year, we had Maggie on to discuss her trip to Cuba with her then-fiancé. They're now married. But Maggie talked a lot about the logistics of getting to Cuba, a lot of the food, drinks, where she stayed, all from the perspective of an American traveler. We gained a lot of insight from our conversation with her, but we're really excited to talk to you and expand on her experience. So you guide tours in Cuba, you speak Spanish, you establish connections with locals, and your tours go beyond Havana into the countryside of Cuba and other cities and towns on the island. And the big item is that even with the new travel restrictions to Cuba, it is still very legal to travel to Cuba as a U.S. citizen. True. That, that is very true. So your friend or the, the guest uh, that was on the podcast before uh, was probably traveling under a specific license uh, called educational people-to-people travel, uh, which you're allowed to go to Cuba. You're allowed to go to Cuba historically for one of 12 reasons. So you basically you get to choose one of these categories under a general license, or in our case, under a very specific license that we actually hold. Um, you get to choose one of these, you know, you could be for religious reasons, uh, for specific business reasons, for family in Cuba. There's a whole thing, whole, a whole bunch of different choices. Um, she probably chose the educational people, people, which Barack Obama sort of opened up and was kind of promoting travel to Cuba for the Americans in 2015. Uh, which is the thing that actually got repeat, like rolled back really recently in June. Uh, and Trump now banned that reason for traveling to Cuba. Um, we as a company travel under something called the support for the Cuban people license, which we have a license, uh, and it's called an OFAC license, um, from the Department of Treasury. And we basically only go through private companies or individuals in Cuba. So we're allowed to still do the, the, our, our tours as before, like completely the same as before, because we don't go through any like large companies that are associated with the Cuban government. So we can just still take people to Cuba and have an amazing experience. Okay. So are people outside of the United States able to join your tours? Yes. Um, so our tours are open for, so first of all, a lot of the restrictions, uh, specifically like with, with the reasons that you're allowed to visit Cuba are only for United States citizens, uh, with us passports. Um, Europeans have been going to Cuba. Canadians have been going to Cuba. South Americans have been going to Cuba for, for a while. We just kind of got on board with it, uh, in 2015. Um, so yeah, other cult, other people from other countries are totally allowed to come and they're allowed to come with us. The benefit with coming with us is that it would be sort of more of a structured tour with more curated, let's say. So we would have specific activities with these amazing, like kind of handpicked local guides that we have. So if someone from Canada, they don't legally need to go with us, but they would want to go with us because we just have, we just deliver a better, a better package, I guess, a better human experience. All right. And with the rollback in June of the people to people policy, as an American, you're not allowed to travel there solo anymore. Correct. You have to go with the travel company and approved travel company. You have to go with an approved travel company and you have to go under, like I said, like under one of these 12 reasons. Um, so actually individuals would be able to go through the support for the Cuban people category. Um, but you would have to ensure that all of the people that you were doing business with over there and, or like renting, you know, a hotel from, or like using as your driver or whatever, none of them would be able to be employed by 
the large tour companies in Cuba because all of those are owned by the Cuban government. Okay. So it's like you guys, like you two could be like, oh, we're going to go, we're going to check the box of support for the Cuban people. But like, you're not allowed to stay in hotels, which say that you're allowed to stay at them, but you're actually not. You're not allowed to go, you know, a lot of the like convertible cabs are owned by companies that are owned by the government. A lot of the tourism companies in general are actually owned by the Cuban government to fund their government. So it would be, you could do it, but you would have to do a ton of research to figure out if these were actually private businesses or if they were, you know, they looked like private businesses, but they were run by the government. Okay. And I think Maggie focused on the support for the Cuban people. I don't think she did the people. Oh, nice. I think her reasoning... The way she got around that was actually staying at Airbnbs instead of the hotels. And that totally. classifies as... That's one of the huge loopholes. Yeah, that's one of the huge loopholes. Is like anything Airbnb or like... Airbnb works with... They're called Casas Particulares. And they're like individual homes that they rent out as sort of bed and breakfast. Like via Airbnb a lot of times. Those ones are one of the major loopholes. Because hotels are the big no-no. You really can't stay at hotels anymore. Um you can stay at private homes, but then it's like, I'm, that's good that she, you know, at least went that route. But then there's any kind of guide has to not be, you know, a guide working for the Cuban government. Um, the, the places that you visit, even some of the museums, like there's a lot of stuff that looks like normal tourism that is actually Cuban government owned. All right. Do you know what some of the repercussions are if you do get caught going and staying in a hotel that's run by the government? Um, it's, it's basically, so it's, um, it's the department of treasury. So it's all stuff that's related to the embargo with Cuba, which I totally think is just well overdue for a rehaul. If not just to be taken away, it's, it's been happening for 60 years because Castro had beef with the United States literally in like 1959, 1960. It's really, really, we've had an embargo with them since the cold war, like pre the cold war. And it's, it, first of all, just, it's, it's done. It's a thing that's not really, Cuba's not a national threat to us at this point in our history. So what it is though, is to answer your question more specifically, our government, our department of treasury put sanctions on the Cuban government. And within those sanctions, <clears throat> excuse me, you're allowed to travel under, like under those specific reasons. So like if you're caught not, you can basically get audited by the Department of Treasury of the United States because it's a money thing. We're not allowed to spend money there to fund their government is kind of the overall, like, how they how they see it. All right. Okay. So you can get audited and you can get fined. You can be audited up to, like, five years after a trip from Cuba. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing. It's It's one of those things that's kind of like this over, like, this looming threat that doesn't ever or like hardly ever really happen but everyone's like if literally if you have a cuba stamp you can you know be questioned secondarily questioned going into other countries you can be secondarily questioned getting like global entry um like things like that there's there's a lot of things that it can like pop up on your record later um unless you go through like a really legal channel of doing it so what is some of the fines are what did some of the fines cost um, you, uh, to be honest, I don't even know because like, that's a super good question. I should actually know that, but to be a hundred percent honest, I don't, I don't know. It would be, it would be basically like, uh, like, I don't, I want to say kind of like tax evasion, like, like weight on it because basically it's like, you're, you're, you're basically like committing a federal crime against the department of treasury. So that whatever, whatever that ends up being. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things though, that there's been very, very, very few cases where they actually go after people for it, but it's still this like sort of like 
outlying threat of that that might happen to you. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's not to be messed with, I think. No, definitely not. So if, if you get past that first hurdle of actually getting there and finding the right category to travel under, I, Cuba itself is still kind of difficult to travel within as an American. Sure. Yeah. As I think, I mean, I, I find that Cuba can be confusing or kind of challenging to travel in as an American, as a non-Spanish speaker, as a Spanish speaker. Um, like even I have, I have people in Latin America that go there. And they're like, man, this is like, because there's a lot of challenges to like, they don't have a lot of supply. There's not a lot of like goods coming in because of embargo and different, like, you know, it's not only the United States that can't trade with them, but it's other countries that don't want to trade with Cuba because they're friends with us. So like, like getting reliable transportation can be difficult. Having reliable internet is very difficult. So like the things that we sort of take for granted are non like sometimes non-functional there and sometimes non-existent there. Sometimes things function just fine and it's okay. But like overbooking is a huge problem. Under service of like transportation is a huge problem because they just don't have a lot of the like um, tourist infrastructure and technology to kind of like keep up with how people travel these days. So I think it's, it, they're, they, their heart is in it and they're like, they're really, really good at being hosts and things. But like organization, um, having systems in place, like with technology and stuff is just not something that Cuba has it's just not something they're, they're they're very up on and am i correct in saying that credit cards are not accepted there also that's also a huge thing like american credit cards atm cards also you have to fly in with cash you have to convert it into a cuban convertible peso so it's like the cuban currency for tourists you have to exchange that when you get back to america if you have those no bank will take it it's basically they created a currency within cuba for tourists that couldn't be used outside of the country to basically make it impossible for Cubans to correct, collect tourist dollars or tourist euros and flee the, comp- the the country. Wow. It was a pretty... Yeah. The Castro devised a plan in kind of the late 90s, early 2000s of creating a second... Because people... Americans were still allowed to travel there, again, under the, one of the 12 reasons. And like, let's say we're all traveling there. We go, we spend a couple thousand dollars... These people keep those dollars and then they can sneak out and have a couple thousand dollars in America. So Castro was tired of people like fleeing the country. So he literally made a tourist currency that's one to one from the dollar, like for the dollar. People will charge you a commission, but to exchange it. But basically you go with the dollar, you get 90 cents of this Cuban money. But this Cuban money, if you leave Cuba, doesn't go anywhere. So it's like only traded on the island of Cuba to sort of keep the locals not getting a bunch of money and fleeing to America or to wherever they want. So what do you do if you have a ton of extra cash yeah. at the end of your trip? Uh, with me, I actually, so if people go with me, I can use it because I'm in Cuba like every month. So like I, so let's say I take a group of 10 people and they're like, Oh my God, I, each of them has like 200 extra dollars. I can keep those $2,000, pay my bills for the next trip that's coming up. And then when we get home, I just give people cash back. I Venmo them or, or PayPal them money in return. So I have like a cash back kind of policy that I like to do. I exchange money for people or like not me directly, but like we have people that exchange money for our guests and then we exchange money back and it happens on the last day. So I can like leave tip money, pay off, you know, debts for, or rather like bills for the next coming trip. And then people go home with dollars. So it's helpful for them. Nice. Yeah. One of the things we talked about with Maggie was the CUC. That's the one. So that's Mm -hmm. the convertible peso. And then the CUP is the local currency. Is the national peso. The national currency. So as as an American traveling there or as any other tourist traveling there, 
Is it possible to get your hands on that? Um, it's possible in a few different ways. So, like, if you speak Spanish well enough that you can, like, like fake someone out, sometimes they'll give you a price in CUP in the National Peso. If you're buying an item for, like, let's say 70 cents and you pay a dollar and they can, like, give you change in CUP, that's kind of a thing sometimes. Um, generally tourists aren't allowed to use CUP like in kind of high volume. Like I'm not allowed to buy stuff with CUP, but if I'm buying like a beer or a meal, I can buy that in CUP. Um, but for the most part, sometimes people will as kind of like a, like a hustle, they'll give you change in CUP. Like if you pay $5 for something and it's, you know, $3, they'll give you two CUP back, which is actually worth like 10 cents instead of two CUC, which is worth like $2. So there's like, you can accidentally like kind of get like swindled into getting it. Um, or you can sometimes get it in small change or you can like kind of blend in like a Cuban and they'll like charge you in that, in that thing. But for the most part, tourists don't deal with it at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So do you have something, Elliot? You go. No. All right. So Mm -hmm. I kind of want to transition into food a little bit. Yeah. That's one of the biggest attractions for me. Mm -hmm. I guess just take us through some of the traditional Cuban dishes. And, and some of the local ingredients. Um, so a lot of it. So a, the good, the good news is that, um, everything is organic. They don't do any kind of pesticides. They don't do anything. Um, they don't do hormones. They don't do stuff like that. Uh, so it's all, it's literal farm to table. Everything is like, you know, from there. They do, uh, I mean, some of their fish is brought in from, other places, which is kind of odd, but like for the most part, everything is like very farm to table. If you, there's one big kind of difference. So there are state run Cuban government run restaurants that are very subpar. I would say they're not good. It's like, it's, it's really not good. But about eight years ago, Raul Castro, who was like, you know, president post Fidel, um, Fidel's brother, he started allowing people to open their own restaurants and they're called paladars. So it's, Basically, you, you could be granted a license if you're like a really good cook and you had sort of like underground, like people in your living room, like dinner parties, people sort of like started getting their reputation out there, started becoming sort of like certified, uh, good cooks is like the best way I can describe it. And they'd be like, yeah, you, Mrs. You know, Eudemia, Doña Eudemia, you're a great cook and you like, do these things. You can open a private restaurant and you, Bob, you're really into food. You can open, open a private restaurant. So they kind of doled out Bob. these. Yeah, man. Hey, good job. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they like kind of opened it up about eight years ago. And then they, they have a new president who kind of uh, called Diaz Canel, who he's sort of opening up. Basically it's like, if you can find private restaurants that are privately run, they're run much, much better than the, the um, Cuban government uh, run restaurants. Like they, they, Cuba in general has like a very limited sort of supply of things, but these private restaurants will be like, okay, we have, you know, a whole, like a lot of chicken and bell peppers today. We're going to like make a menu with chicken and bell pepper. Um, they have more access to some of like the more fresher things also. Um, so yeah, private restaurants are like, are where it's at. And that can range from, you know, $3 from a lunch to like $30 for like a really fancy meal out and about. Do you have any specific recommendations as far as maybe a budget-friendly totally. option and a high yeah. dining option? Um, I would say like so, na- like name names of places or like the dishes themselves or uh, both, both. Um, 
So they do a thing called ropa vieja, which means like old clothes, which is kind of a, an odd name for it, but it's basically like beef or pork that's kind of stewed with onions and bell pepper and stuff. It's kind of like a roast, but has like a lot more sort of like spice and stuff to it. They do that uh, very well. They'll do a thing called croquetas that are like either ham or cheese and they're like breaded and fried that are really good. Um, Yeah, super good. They do a lot of, they'll do a lot of like a pork, just like kind of like a grilled slab of pork or grilled slab of meat with beans and rice um, with a lot, they do a lot of root vegetables, which out here on the East coast, we don't really have the Miami, my, like Miami friends know of it. Um, but it'll be like kind of like variants of sweet potato, yucca, like potatoes, different stuff like that. Um, so it's a lot of like grilled, a grilled protein, beans and rice, and like some kind of uh, root vegetable sort of over and over. And they do, there's like a place called, um, dos pelotas. That's like $3. For like a full blown, like privately done, like bomb meal. So it means, means two balls, like two like soccer balls. Um, it's a delicious lunch. It's in the old, so it's called Centro Havana. So it's like just outside of kind of where the touristy area would be. And it's like three or five bucks for like a bomb meal. Um, and then they have places, uh, like La Guarida, which it looks like La Guardia, like the airport. And it's one of the oldest of these private restaurants. And it's really fancy at this point. They have like, a cigar uh, room that's kind of humidor room. They have like, you know, 18 year rums and things like this. And that one could cost you like 40 bucks or so for a meal. Just oh, that job. I mean, at this point, because I go on almost all of the trips, I have cut the restaurants that I don't like that I feel like are going to be sort of subpar to our guests or like our guests are not going to be into. And I just only go to, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like the, the, the price range can be completely different. Like we go to, the really low end cheapy ones, as long as they're private, we go to more high end ones, as long as they're private, a lot of ones that are like rooftop places that'll serve you like, you know, grilled squid and like a good cocktail and stuff like that. So on, on my trips, I, I, I like to eat well. Um, I think we're kind of spoiled out here in America. I don't know. I live, you know, in California, we have a bunch of good stuff. So I like to eat at the good ones. So our, our, we have, we have, we only do the good ones at this point. We don't do those <laughs> government ones anymore. Well, but I'm surprised to hear that some dishes will get up to $30 per dish. Yeah, like, so wow. the ones are, there are some of them that have just, like, there were cooking shows. I mean, I saw Anthony Bourdain go out there, like, a little bit before, just around the same time that I was, and he went to that La Wadida one, the one that I'm saying, and, like, they were basically, like, just raking in the tourist money. Tourists are like, that place, like, we all have to go there. Obama, when Obama visited, he went there. The Kardashians, when they went, they went there. So, like, those prices have been like jacked up, but then there's like, we have, um, we have a place that's called Chanchullero. I hope like a million people don't hear this and like go there. I hope for your sake, a million, a million people, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be cool. <laughs> there's, there's a place called Chanchullero that's like super private, like really small kitchen, like really bomb. And it's like, t- like 12 bucks for just a ton of food and a drink, you know, it's, it's much more affordable, but then there's okay. ones that have like, I mean, if the Kardashians go there, like, they can right. just jack up the price and whatever, you know. Not a right. fan, by the way. Not a fan. Put that out publicly. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> for the record. Yeah, for the record. No, we're on record. Not that a million people are going to hear this. Well, I think I, I think the Kardashians don't like all religiously listen to this podcast. I think they do. Right? 
Good. I'm talking to you, Kardashians. I know you're listening. <laughs> I'm using this as my platform to finally be like, I don't like you guys. It's like I don't like what you stand for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I appreciate you guys' help in my you're quest welcome. to tell them I don't like them. <laughs> I mean, that was what this entire setup was for. We wanted to talk about Cuba, but it was really a platform that <laughs> yeah. just to just to reach them. The long, the long game, the long con. I yes. see. Well, so, so segueing from the Kardashians, um, oh, you know, well, even so, they're, they they <laughs> tour there. Oh, uh, Obama has been there. But the yeah. thing is, even with some of these high-level tourists and from international tourists going on a pretty regular basis, the country itself has not um, evolved to cater to tourism. There are still no chains, restaurants. Is this correct? Or are no they starting to make that transition? No chain and, restaurants, no outside chain restaurants. Go ahead. Okay. And, and I mean, well, no, that's it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. So, like, no, no chain restaurants, but, like, it, so I, I feel that the, the country has evolved in that they're, so, like, before eight years ago, everything was state-run, from, like, schools to roads to the military to, like, transportation to restaurants to hotels, every, every, everything. And then eight years ago, they're like, a couple people can have private restaurants. Then Obama comes and they're like, a couple more can have. So my, my thing is like, they're, they're evolving or they're kind of progressing in a way that like more and more private sector can open things and work for themselves, which was, which was not allowed before that in like Fidel's kind of like more hardline communism, right? So like, right. even that is like a huge, like, if you live in a place where, like, you are just capped out and you cannot make more than a certain amount of money, there's no reason to open a private restaurant. And if they're, like, 12 of you can open a private restaurant and the ones that do end up being, like, this La Guarida and they're, like, ballers now, right? So everyone is kind of, like, a little bit of that capitalism has sort of, like, seeped in, I guess. Or, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, socialist capitalism. I'm not sure exactly what's it. But, like, that idea that, like, you can work for yourself and kind of do it. So Cuba is evolving in a way that's very Cuban where it's, like, if if they're allowing a couple more people to run a private restaurant, there's these guys that now have like this super hip bakery that's like in old Havana that was in like this like bombed out like you know this you know, I don't want to say bombed out but this like really destroyed old building. They cleaned it all up. They put in all this baking equipment and they're making like super cool like beautiful sourdoughs and like amazing looking like breads and it looks like very like hip and cool. Um, and there's the same. They have like a cafe. There's a there's a company that's doing like screen prints and t-shirts and stuff that are very like super cool shirts. Like you guys would love. Uh, so they're starting to like evolve, but it's very singularly entrepreneurial. Like where it's like, no, they're not going to open a chain of those things. They're opening their one shop. So you still get like a variety. There's still a huge, like, you know, competitive market of like multiple t-shirt shops opening. It's not like, the McDonald's of t-shirts is going to come in or the McDonald's of McDonald's, like actual hamburger stands are going to be like, all the fast food is this now. Like everyone gets a shot at making their own little mini McDonald's. So I, I appreciate that. But now it's like people actually have a shot at opening stuff. Whereas eight years ago, four years ago, that was not, that was not as much of a thing. That's one of the main reasons I want to go there. I want to get there before it evolves even more than it already has, because it does seem so unique Right. And it's very unique. Totally. So this is this is going to help me transition to my next question. Um, mm-hmm. What you hear often is that, like, you know, don't go to Cuba if you're a woman traveling by yourself. Or in my circumstance, I would be traveling with my wife and, and essentially a toddler. Um, yeah. You know, how 
how easy is it to go under those those circumstances to a country that's already harder uh, to travel through? It's so super good question. So it's it's confusing, but it's not dangerous. So there's that. Like okay. your driver might be an hour late to take you somewhere, but he's not going to mug you. So it's not like any more difficult than traveling in a lot of places. It's like, it's not any more difficult than going to like parts of my city. Parts of Los Angeles are like way more dangerous than Cuba is. Like you and your wife and your kids should not go to some parts of LA or Chicago or Philadelphia for that matter. Right. Like here in America, like we have, we have like straight up violent, like people shooting each other that never, never, never happens in Cuba. And the things that do happen are like, like I was saying, you get your change back in CUP. So you got like swindled out of $2 kind of thing. You get like, like little hustles, but there's nothing dangerous. There's no one is walking around with a gun. You would never be led astray down an alley to be robbed. Like that's, that's just a, a non-occurrence. I personally have been 25 times. I've never, ever felt unsafe at all. Um, as far as female travelers go, it's all of like single female went like the women travelers coming with us. They're like, man, I've been to Latin American places. These are like, you know, sort of like well-seasoned travelers. They're like, you know, I've been to a lot of places around the cat calling here is much more respectful actually than it is in other countries. You'll get a lot of like, baby, I love yous. And like, will you marry me's and not like really nasty things. I know that sounds like an odd thing, but they're literally their direct things are like, this is so much tamer of a cat call than I'm used to in other places or that I'm used to in New York. Um, I think we have kind of a like skewed version of what Cuba is because our governments have been beefing for so long. Our governments have had problems with each other for so long that we're taught to think that it's so sketchy and so like, Oh, what's behind the other side of the curtain. It's like crazy down there. It's not, it's super, it's disorganized, but it's nice. It's like runs late, but it's friendly. It's not dangerous. Um, yeah, that's my that's my two cents. It's chill. As as someone who might be a conspiracy theorist, I'm not saying it's me, please, but yeah, for, for to me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about this, but like yeah. going to a hotel and finding yeah. areas that have Wi-Fi and signing in. Since yeah. since Wi-Fi is so spotty and not having a good connection is kind totally. of expected, what yeah. is the safety of actually signing on to one of those and the potential for, like, if you are using banking information, how Your bank won't let you. you okay. So you you can't, I, I have Wells Fargo. So first, first of all, from one conspiracy theorist to another, how safe is any act? You know what I mean? I'm like, really? I'm all, seriously, I was talking about Guatemala the other day. My Instagram just happens to pop up with Guatemala stuff. They're listening all the time. Everybody is all the time. They're just a little bit more honest about it. So my thing is, without going too rabbitly, uh, I'm all, and then if you check my Reddit page, no, I'm just joking. No, I think I wouldn't, I don't touch banking information while I'm over there. It actually doesn't let you from the United States, from Cuba, won't let you log into um, any of my Wells Fargo accounts, any of my stuff, I've learned okay. to just let my, let my wife, when she's home, she's kind of man, man's the ship while I'm away. <clears throat> so if things need to be paid, she does that. You literally have to bring cash with you. So there's no need to be on your bank at all. Um, I think, I think it's monitored, to be honest. I think you go to these internet hotspots and it's monitored, but I think also the U.S. government has admittedly monitored emails on a lot of cases. So I think all of them are shady. Our government to their government, I think everybody, if they wanted to, see about what you're talking about they could and would and okay. do fair <laughs> so enough fair enough i don't know if you can air that but i'm like i don't trust any of those fools 
<laughs> All right. So, so on the topic of no, we're done. Bob's already in. On the topic of conspiracies and Cuba, sure. Have either of you heard of Operation Northwoods? No. 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 Do tell. <laughs> so I recommend googling it because this is this is okay. actually real. The documents were released, but during the uh, the dispute during the JFK administration. Um, uh-huh. there were people within the, or the the United States government that were trying to conspire attacks on potential U.S. commercial airlines and cruise ships to instoke uh, a war between the United States and and Cuba. JFK shot it down, and those records those records were eventually released. I think in the nineties. Wow, I that's mean, real. Like, I mean, that's, real. that's that that sounds very conspiracy theory ish. But also, I totally believe stuff like that. I'm it's, like, yeah. I, I am not a conspiracy theorist at all. And that yeah. is, that's real. Yeah. It's, oh, the it's, other thing, too, it, had he not, had he said that, yes, that Operation Northwoods, also, Bob, I wrote it down because I'm totally Googling it later. Um, <laughs> if it had that, had, had he said no to that proposal and had one plane gone down, had any, anyone looked at the other one the wrong way, we would have been in a World War Three yeah. situation. There were bombs yeah. literally 90 miles apart from each other pointed at both sides. And if any one thing would have snapped, we would have been at an all-out war with that country. Yeah. And they were backed so hard by Russia at the time. It wasn't... We weren't even fighting Cuba. We were, they were just like... The, they were just backed by Russia. Know, yeah. They were the grounds to just shoot all the weapons at us. We would have been screwed. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad. Good job, JFK, for not, not letting that go through. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed Oof. 13 Days. Oh, the Kevin Costner one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that taught me our, a lot about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Our guide talks about it all the time. He's like, go home and watch Godfather 2 and 13 Days and, like, do your homework. Do, like, your fun homework. It's Yeah, it's very good. It's, it's yeah, very accurate, actually. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I, I saw that a while ago, and I didn't know. In the day I mean, I'm sure that there's, information, you know, I wasn't sure how accurate it truly was. Our, our guide will tell us, he, he has told us to watch it all the time and he'll like kind of reference it every time. It's, you know, it's a dramatization. So they're going to kind of like blow up different things and make it a little bit, uh, you know, more Hollywoody. Um, one of the things though is that he said they screened it in Cuba. So they had like an opening night and a screening and like an opening for the movie. And then the government was like, what? And they shut it down and they were never allowed to see it again. There was one opening night of that movie before they knew, I guess, like what it was about. And then as soon as, as soon as they saw it, it aired one night, one time, and then it was like scrapped. They could never see it in Cuba again. It was on the like do not watch list. Yeah. Is it still on a do not watch list? Um, I don't think so anymore. I don't know though. That's a good question. I'd be curious sure. to ask, to poll Cubans to see if they've seen 13 Days or even know about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, cause they're, then their version is like, we were the aggressors, you know, obviously everyone yeah. like writes their different versions. Like, we're the imperialist Americans that were these aggressors toward this small island that, like, doesn't want any beef from anyone. And we kept, and historically, we have actually gone in and tried to, like, have interests in Cuba, like we have in Puerto Rico, and, like, get them and extract all their sugar and take all their stuff. And they, they have repeatedly said no to America over the years. So that's just, like, one more. The Cold War stuff, they were like, seriously, stop it. <laughs> you know, fair enough. No means no. No means no, America. Quit it. We still have Guantanamo, don't we? Is that still? We do. We we still have Guantanamo. So the U.S. actually, very last minute, which is like not to talk talk about our country poorly, but we love to do this thing where like people are fighting. So the Cubans during their second 
Spanish Revolution. They were trying to kick out the imperialist Spain for a long time. They tried it once. It got stomped out. They tried it again. They're at the last legs of their last battle with Spain. America comes in to back them up, and we help them kind of shovel, shut out Spain. And they're like, hey, cool. Like, so glad we did that. Let us sign your constitution and write it for you, which let that sink in. Like, we come in at the very last minute, kick the rest of Spain out, and then we're like, yeah, we're going to write you this constitution. And they became a U.S. Republic at the beginning, post gaining their own independence, they were ours, like almost immediately. And they were like, whoa, 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 like you guys can't be just writing our constitution, which I totally agree with, um, can't be writing our own, you know, our constitution. So the U.S. struck a deal with them that was like, we made a 99 year lease on Guantanamo Bay because we helped them with, with that. And they get, they gave us a base at Guantanamo because we were helpful in exchange for them being like a, their own country and a sovereign nation. We were like, all right, I guess you can, you know, be a country on your own, but we're still going to get like this little sliver of it to have a military base on. I think the whole, the whole interaction and the whole going back and forth, the kerfuffle with Cuba in the last 70 years has been, (laughs) it's, it's been a lot. It's also too, there's like, there's this thing for people, for people who are like really interested in it because it's a thick documentary. But there's a thing called Cuba Libre that is on Netflix. It was on Netflix for a while. And it's like back to like slave trade and America's involvement in that. We have literally for the last 400 years been trying to like get our hands on Cuba and trying to like interfere with what they do. It's it's not like we know of the last history of being like Cold War and, and post and having, you know, the, the embargo with Cuba and all that stuff. But the, the, that was like their like fifth or sixth battle with America trying to get in there and be, make them sort of a territory. They keep, we keep trying, we wanted to get them for their, like the slave trade. We wanted to get them for their sugar cane. We wanted to get them for just all these different things. We helped them with their revolution and then tried to take it. Like, they're just like, dude, fucking leave us alone, please. They have a very, their government at least is very like, um, what do they call it? Like underdog ish. Like America keeps trying to jump in and they somehow battle us out of there. Um, Cuban people love us very much, but their government and ours has a very 400 year old, like past of us trying to take all their stuff and them saying no. Well, so, so I want to, I want to wrap into, I want to wrap up some of the logistics because then I want to get into your your travel company. So, yeah. So, um, I guess one of the major questions I still have lingering is visa and passports. Yeah. Um, passports are obviously required, but What's up with the visa process there? Is there one? Yes. So you have to have a Cuban travel visa and you have to have Cuban travel insurance. Both of them are not. So like I had said with the Cuban visa, you have to go for one of the now 11 reasons of legally being able to travel in Cuba. And you have to be able to document and show what you've done at all times to the government in case the government, uh, the Department of Treasury asks you for that information. So like... The visa, basically, if you, if you get a flight with JetBlue, right? JetBlue will be like, okay, for, you know, $85, you can buy this visa from us. That's all fine and good. And that's pretty easy that you can arrange through the airlines. You have to make sure that the information that you fill out on the back end matches what you actually do. That's kind of the loophole or that's kind of the, I guess, the tricky part. Yeah. And then travel insurance also is one of the things that's required in, in Cuba. It's, it costs so little that airlines, almost all airlines start, started just sort of absorbing that price or charging a little bit extra. So your, uh, your passport has to be valid for six months. You have to have a Cuban travel visa. 
you have to sign an affidavit of why you're actually going to go there, which has to line up with all the stuff you're, you know, documented of, of doing. Um, and you have to have proof of Cuban travel insurance, Cuban health insurance, rather, that is your, your uh, boarding pass on your, on your plane. So you keep that stuff with you. That's it? Yeah, that's it. It's not that many things. I know. Does it sound like a lot of things? It's like a lot of things. I'm like, and then a blood test. And then you have to do, you have to do the alphabet backwards. No, that it's, it sounds like a lot of things. I mean, I've done it so many times now that I'm like, it's super easy. All you have to do is like, you know, right. no, I'm, I'm sure if you, if you put in the appropriate planning, um, it doesn't seem like it's very hard to, to obtain. It's, it's not terribly hard. This is one of the things with someone like us though. We have all of that information and especially too, we keep all of everyone's information for five years. So if people go with us and they're like, Oh, I can't get global entry like four years down the road, I'll be like, here you go, Bob. Like, here's all your information and what you did, all the legalities, all your license number, all this kind of stuff. And then you can apply full for that. And, and it's fine. We've had multiple people. Global entry has been a problem. Um, there are multiple people applying for visas in different countries that it kind of came up as a red flag. And we just send them the information that we have backlogged and like saved. And then they're able to do everything. Same thing. If someone were to get audited by the Department of Treasury, which is like the thing that might happen, we would be like, oh, no, they went legally with us. And like, here's all their information. Right. So there are a lot of benefits with going with you. Um, let's yeah. get into your company. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, okay. Not yet. Not yet. Well, uh, I'm not yeah. done with Cuba. I have, uh, I have one main uh, question to uh, ask. And that is... A make it conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> make it deep conspiracy. I love <laughs> I love coffee. And I love yeah. uh, a good, a good, you know, nightcap. So yeah. coffee is, is big down there, right? Very. Okay. And then are there like designated, you talked about this earlier about like a place to smoke a nice rolled cigar and have some 18 year old Scott. Are those, yeah. are those really rum. popular? Rum, rum is their, is their thing, but all of the okay. above replace the scotch with the rum. They have okay. like 16 year rums. They've got 18 year ones. There's like bomb product. Rum and cigars are their main, their main thing. Actually nickel. Uh, is also the, the metal, I guess it's a metal or an element or something. Nickel is a big export of theirs, as is, uh, rum and as is tobacco. So, okay. bit like fancy rum and tobacco is just like, if you're into that, that's, that's very, very, very Cuban. There's, they have that everywhere. We actually go to a tobacco farm and ride horses through it and the farmers sell us sort of their, like, artisanal crop. Um, we go to, like one of the, the major kind of cigar brands, we go to like one of the factories where it's like the people rolling it by hand and we do kind of a cigar tour also and people can buy sort of the higher end cigars. But I'm <clears throat> I'm not at home. Like here, I'm not a cigar smoker. I will absolutely smoke a cigar on a horse in Vinales. And we have this one bar where we do a fancy rum tasting and a, a rum and cigar tasting. And dude, it's like I will smoke the shit out of a cigar in that situation. It's... It's perfect. Really now good rum and a really good cigar. It's plum. <laughs> yeah, now I just picture you like shirtless on a horse in like a tobacco field <laughs> cigar in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> basically, basically, my wife would be appalled at this. She'd be like, dear God, it's for the Instagram. Put your shirt on. <laughs> She'd be like, no, no, not happening. It's basically that, but with... You know, with a shirt on. Okay. <laughs> okay. I keep it real That's... unbuttoned, though. It's unbuttoned real deep, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Now, Bob, I will allow you to ask your question about his 
company. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I really want to get into the details of it. Um, sure. Things like group size, the types of activities that you, you include. Um, yeah, how people yeah. can book. Let's just let's just go with it. All First that. of all, what is, all, what is it called? Yeah. All that good stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, the company's called Coast to Costa, which is coast in English to Costa, which is coast in Spanish. See what I did there? I did. Um, I did, Bob. Very, you did? Yeah. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. You're like Costa. What the, what's this dude talking about? So Costa Costa. It doesn't really. Costa Costa. What the hell is he saying? Costa Costa. So I thought of the name. I also learned Spanish in in like my later years, in my twenties, not later years, but like later in life. Um, and was like, oh, that's clever. And like, we take people from usually from the United States down to some kind of you know Latin, like uh, like Spanish speaking country. So I was like, oh, Costa Costa. What a clever name that'll be. After I like brainstormed for like months. Spell that on the phone to someone and watch how confusing that all gets. It's like, it's, it's clever when you say it and when people kind of like, oh yeah, cool, like in Spanish. And then if people, you know, like, like Bob, you're very normal. Some, a lot of people don't know Spanish and they're like, why the shit is it called Costa? What does that even mean? Someone asked me what it was to do with Costco, the company. I was like, uh, no, it happens. <laughs> it happens a lot. So coast in English to C-O-S-T-A is coast to Costa. Um, we've been open for seven years now and I started basically because I lived in Spain for years. Um, and I worked in a Spanish restaurant when I moved home and I would use my wine and cheese and like Spanish restaurant contacts with groups of friends of mine in San Francisco. And I'd organize these groups and go back to Spain. I would upcharge people by like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. I would organize the whole thing and I would go for free. So basically literally it was me wanting to go back to Spain, wanting to like share what I loved about Spain with friends of mine. And it ended up kind of sprouting into my friend being like, you should do this as a living group travel. This is so fun. I would rent a big house. We would all stay in the house. We would just like be in the town for a week. Like we lived there. And it was just a ton of drinking and a ton of food and like bouncing into these like very specific spots. And I had friends that were restaurant owners and like winemakers, like I was saying, and we just, it, I just turned the whole thing into like this very, um, like locally curated food and wine and like culture tour in Spain in 2013, 2012 is when I did my first one. So seven years ago. Um, now what it is, is like, I don't, it's not as much food and wine focused, but the whole, like we, I meet with, you know, I, I, the, like the Cuba one. So it's all local guides, it's local drivers, it's people that will take you through. It's like someone it's like you're going to visit a friend of yours in every town and your friends happen to be, you know, people that curate art at these really cool galleries or people in bands that play shows for you for at like a private concert. So we do these small group trips of like anywhere from like 10 to like 16 people. We go and just hit up people. It's all stuff that I want to do. So it's a lot of food, um, you know, rum tasting, uh, cigar, like uh, tobacco farms on horses, we do like this crazy seafood lunch on the Bay of Pigs. It's super beautiful and no one's there. Um, we go to Trinidad and go to all these like art, uh, kind of like they, they put up art galleries in these old classic homes that used to be sugar baron homes. Um, we go to a club, a discoteca that's inside of a cave that's like 200 feet under the ground. That's like this crazy cave that there's DJs and lights and all that, you know, you know, like a club club, but like inside of a cave in the in middle of cave. Cuba. It's wild. It's some shit. And like rum drinks are like two bucks and you're just like, and it's open till 6am and 
if you've got a lot of two dollar coins, you can just stay there as long as you want. That sounds like um, a headache. <laughs> it's I know it sounds like a lot. Actually, you know what the weird thing is too, and I'm like I'm 38 years old now, so I'm not like I don't drink as much as I used to, and I'm like not as wild and stuff as I used to. I will go to Cuba and I'm out with a group, so I'll like you know be drinking like I'm on vacation. I'll drink a bunch of rum. Uh, never have woken up in Cuba with a hangover, not one time. It's a true story. Rum in America, I hate it, and it makes me feel terrible. Rum in Cuba is. It's pure. They don't, they don't mess with it. They don't put stuff in it. It's just only sugar cane. You can wake up the next day. You can have a lot of them. And I've tested this theory. You can have a lot of them and wake up the next day and feel fine. It's weird. The one time I had a hangover there is because I had a couple of gin and tonics at this weird bar that someone invited me to. And I was like, ah, oh, that sounds great. And I felt like shit the next day. Mm. Aside from that, you can literally, it's this weird thing where you can drink whatever you want and feel fine the next day and be, you know, in charge of 16 people in a foreign country. It's wild. It's wild. Can we go back to this? Please club inside of a cave. <laughs> sure. Yeah. When so, you want to go? I'm going in October. Yeah. Let's roll. <laughs> it's very tempting. Yeah. It's Elliot, you ready? It, I'm ready. You guys ready? I know. <laughs> Tell the wives you're you're out. <laughs> business um, trip. Business yeah, trip. We got to do market <laughs> research. <laughs> we um. It's crazy. Like so, the, this town of Trinidad is a colonial town. It's 504 years old. It has cobblestones and these old, beautiful, like colonial era homes. The people are super nice. It's really friendly. It's very inexpensive. Literally like a glass of like a rum and coke or like a mojito is like two bucks in these little plastic cups. And you just drink in the town. There's a public square that they do salsa lessons. They like everyone's salsa dancing, spinning around. You're getting kind of warmed up. You're having this $2 rums. You kind of continue up the hill and there's little bars. And then you get to the very top of the hill. You go down all these stairs. You pay $5 and you get a drink. And then every drink after that is two bucks. You go into this thing and it's like live reggaeton bands sometimes there's a dj booth it's about 200 feet under the thing stalactites stalagmites like stuff you consider like you know a spelunking like use a helmet with a with a light on it kind of cave in america like not to be touched they threw a discotheca in that shit they like (laughs) built a dj booth up up above everybody there's fully like three dance floors it's packed. It's sweaty. It's like a. It's a thing. It's a full on like. Thing. Is it called Disco Ayala? Yeah, it's Disco Ayala. Yeah. How do you know? I oh, I, you Google just now. No, huh? no. So no. As as we have these conversations, I usually I'm very visual and I like geography. Cool. So I would just follow nice. when we're talking about places. And I was just yeah. looking in Trinidad, and I was like, oh, there's this discoteca Las Cuevas. And I was like, Las I wonder Cuevas, if that's Ayala. Yeah, that's one that, that looks so one. awesome. It's sick. I'm telling you. And for anyone listening, Ayala. What is it? A A A I L A A Y L A. It looks That's like an one. evil person's like lair. <laughs> There's local lore that a guy actually in the 1800s was like luring people, luring kids in and killing kids in that cave. Not to bum everyone out, oh, but it's crap. like 150 years ago. There was actually kind of like a weird serial killer that lived in the cave. That I now party in. <laughs> I listen to EDM in. Yeah. I know that's a shitty thing to say of me. No, it's it's true. It's like I mean, 150 years go by. Like what you know, things yeah, the, things change. They rebranded. They rebranded really hard. <laughs> so how many how many people are usually in your groups? So usually, like, I, I so there's like ten to sixteen. I would say like twelve is kind of our sweet spot. We normally have around 12, 14-ish people. Okay, twelve-ish more. I've heard that twelve yeah. tends to be the sweet spot. 
Dude, 12's great. 12 is awesome. 12, like, we have a van that fits 18 people. It's a Mercedes Sprinter. It's dope. It's super legit. We've worked very hard at finding, like, people that are able to get Mercedes Sprinters. It's not an easy thing to do in Cuba. It fits 18 people, but I feel like 16 is kind of our max. Like, I can do 18, but it's, it's kind of a lot. We have either myself or my, my, our, like, my friend James, who's a guide of ours also that's from here, but he's Colombian. So either myself or him and one Cuban guide for like a big group. So if it's 18, it's kind of like, it's good money making wise, let's say like business wise, that's better to fill up the whole van, but like 12 people, I can just chill and it's not at all difficult and it's very easy to manage. And you know, it's a, it's a really good time. And what's the average um, time that you should spend in Cuba? You know, is it it a week vacation? Yes, I definitely, at least, at least I would do, we, we've had people that, like, we'll do anywhere from, like, three nights if people are, like, I barely have any time off, I can do a long weekend. Especially, too, from New York. Like, from the East Coast, you guys could fly there and, like, New York does is, like, three and a half hours. Like, New York to Havana, three and a half hours. It's super easy. Um, so I can do three-day weekends, but there's, it's so hard to, like, figure out in that amount of time or to get used to in that amount of time that I think three days is way too short. We do seven nights almost eight days, like seven nights and like seven and a half days. And we do Havana. We go through the Bay of Pigs. We go to Trinidad for two days. We go back through this town called Cienfuegos, back to Havana for the last couple days. And we go to the tobacco country for a day trip. And seeing those kind of major points in eight days, we're like kind of going through them pretty quickly. Like the pace is good, but it's like you could do seven or many more days than that to really kind of get it all in. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, if you were to only go for a long weekend, would you recommend someone yeah. just going to Havana and staying there? Totally. I would yeah. do, I would okay. do Havana and stay there and I would do a day trip to Vinales to the tobacco country. Cause it's about two and a half hours away. So you can do it in a day without having to like, you know, be gone for all that long on the road. The, when we go to Trinidad, it's like more like six hours in the car. So if you're somewhere for three days and you spend 12 of those, you know, driving, 12 hours driving, it's not worth it. But you can do like two days in Havana and the last day in, in Vinales in the, in the tobacco country, ride horses, eat farm to table, smoke cigars, have fancy rum, come back and fly out of Havana the the next morning. That's like, it's doable, but it's, it's, you know, it's quick. It's quick. Yeah. It's doable. I was really excited to go to Cuba after we spoke with Maggie and now I'm just more excited. I know. I know. Come well, on. Um, it's cool. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's very, very like, and it's not anything that you're expecting. I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but like, we'll have ideas about stuff. And then you go in there and you're like, whoa, it looks like you see, but it's very different than, than what you think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about it earlier. The fact that <laughs> Cuba has kind of lived in the seventies for the last 30 years. And now it's yeah. just kind of coming out of that into this, you know, socialist market economy. And yeah, uh, it's it's really fascinating. I mean, I would equate it to kind of a uh, in environmental terms, like an ecosystem that was kind of like totally ravaged by a forest fire, and now all of this stuff is popping up, and it's super diverse. Yes, yes, and yes, and no. It's like an ecosystem. It's like everything was. It's not. It's not burnt down yet, though. There's still a lot of existing infrastructure that's the same. There's like little seedlings popping up within the old forest. Okay. Like it hasn't burnt down yet, you know? Like in, in those terms, it's like if you have just clean slate, they don't have clean slate yet. There's yeah. still 
there's still like the old guard that's in that's like limiting the amount of new seedlings that are allowed to pop up. There's still changes happening very slowly there. It's not like an overnight wave of, you know, difference and change and like revolution. They're not, they're not wanting to like overthrow and do everything completely different again. They've done that three times in a row. That's been like very kind of jarring for everyone. So they're kind of like slow and easy and steady, uh, upward growth. Okay. I'm really anxious to get there before it really makes the full transition and tourism starts to boom because one of the biggest uh, disappointments I had with touring Peru was when Uh we made it to Cusco and we get to the Plaza uh, de Armas and Mm -hmm. there was a freaking Starbucks in there. Yeah. Dude, in the oldest, the building's beautiful too. Yeah. In the Plaza de Armas. I'm like, there's a KFC in there. Uh, In that. Like right next to the cathedral and a McDonald's. And you're like, ah, it looks, if you don't look at the signage, you're like, oh my God, this whole plaza is so beautiful and old. KFC, Starbucks, and um, McDonald's up in that plaza. Yeah, I agree. That part is less, less good for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you like Peru? Um, I love it. This is my fifth or sixth time down there. Um I, I, we have such good people on the ground. Uh, we have a guy who's, who speaks Quechua. He's like 32 and he like moonlight, like he's basically starting his own. He's been a guide for like 10 years for other big companies. And now he's just like only doing kind of private guiding. He gives a very, um, like a standpoint of from a local Peruvian Andean like person that just, he just loves uh, all, like all of the Inca culture. He loves all of like the Andes mountains and like that whole thing. So he's not, he's like kind of old school in a modern era. Um, he has his friends name Matt? shamans. No, his name is, um, <laughs> wait, was there an Englishman named Matt you met by any chance? Uh, Scottish. Uh, S- Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, does he do like the trekking stuff? Yeah. 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 Matt. Yeah. Matt. Yeah, Matt Wah. Yeah, Did you guys have him on here? Yes. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that guy's so nice. I really, yeah. really like that guy. No, our guy named, his name is Fernando. He's like from Cusco, from Cusco. I know that Matt guy though, who does like crazy looking, they look amazing. His, his trucks that he does, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like through, yeah, the, his, through the villages and stuff. Yep. Right. His yeah. whole, his whole thing is staying with the locals as you go through. You get to, you get to sleep in like, with the locals in the town and, and stuff. They yeah. cook yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. His, I mean, That's his so stuff funny looks that so you know cool. him. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. It's interesting because it's, it's like tour, like, I don't know, like kind of like travel and stuff is sort of a small world, but usually it's not that small. Usually like, oh, no, I don't know that guy. I was no, just joking. Yeah. yeah, no, he's, That's I, wild, man. I met him at a, uh, at a beer bar actually. And like, I was having a beer while my group was just kind of having a free day. And he's like, yeah, I do these things. It's super off the beaten track. He like does was it such amazing stuff. What's up? Was it Molly's? No, um, Cholos, Cholos, I think. Not oh, Holly's, the one on the corner. In Cusco, in Cusco. In Cusco. Yeah. You know we, the one? Yeah, yeah. We were there. It's like that, that crazy little court, like the little tiny courtyard yeah. and they have like sausage and stuff. Yeah. Place is bum. <laughs> Met him there. Yeah. Met him there. Good one. I like that. Wait, was it Molly's? I'm like, ah, that's nuts. You guys Wait, know the place. Cholos. Was that the, the brewery yeah. that we went to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's the, a the brewery. brewery. They have like a little tap room, like within yeah, this uh-huh. little like blue and white, like little tiny, like courtyard thing. Yeah, that's the place that I joked. If you ever saw the movie Beer Fest, when they couldn't find how to get back to, to the brewery that they were at the night before, but they had to get drunk mm-hmm. and then 
Do yes. it. And and then they remember. Yeah. 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 I, Matt, Situational I just awareness. Matt, I just remember Matt <laughs> taking us through streets and alleyways to this brewery that we finally, like, yeah. we go through a doorway into a courtyard and then finally there's yeah. a brewery in the back of the place. It was really yeah. weird. <laughs> You're like, I'll never find this again. It's like one block behind the I know. Starbucks. It's right <laughs> by the Starbucks. But it's like another world. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. That's totally. hilarious. Uh, Alright, man. So you have anything else uh, that you want to add before you get off? Um, well, yeah, you know what you should definitely add? Where, uh, what is your website, your Instagram, your Facebook? Ah, fantastic. I should add all those things. So, um, yes. our... So our website is the difficult name, coasttocosta.com. So C-O-A-S-T-T-O-C-O-S-T-A.com. Um, Instagram is the same. Instagram, I find, is the best way to kind of like figure out what's kind of, you know, stay up on what we're doing. Um, my wife runs that. It's That's the other thing, too. It's literally only my wife and I that run the whole company. Um, we have different people that we like kind of collaborate with and work with in different guides sort of on the ground, but nuts and bolts of the whole Coast to Coast is my wife, Natalie, and I. Um, she runs a hell of an Instagram page, so I check that out. S- Facebook is the same. Twitter is the same, but I'm never on it because it's just like pulls me into, you know, pit of despair. Uh, so I can't really, can't really promote that too much. You know what I'm saying? Um, we're actually going to do, we're starting to, I mean, our Cuba trips are still running, running really strong. We're still allowed and legal to do them, which is a really big thing because a lot of the big companies were sort of knocked out when you couldn't use, when big companies couldn't use other big companies, cruise ships are not allowed anymore. The big hotels are not allowed anymore, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, a lot of people were nervous that they weren't allowed to go to Cuba anymore. And we are still running these very small curated, like tight little uh, itineraries that are locally run cash in hand to all the people that, that run the tours for us. So it's like, Literally, people are making extensions on their houses and their kids can, you know, afford more stuff. We're kind of making a lot of uh, direct change in, in all of our guides and like providers' lives. So that's, that's a super huge benefit. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. I love, I love what we do. Group travel is actually really, really fun. People like each other a lot more than they think they do. Um, there's a lot more that people have in common than don't. Um, and yeah, we're just trying to, get people out of their comfort zones into places that they may have had preconceived notions about, AKA us with our things about Cuba or like Mexico or Latin America. We think that we think it's one thing and it's so many different things than that. So that's kind of our goal is to get people seeing that. All right, people, if you're listening, if you're going to uh, Cuba, Spain, California, Mexico, or Peru, you know who to contact, right? Coast to Costa. That's true. And if you're planning on it, you should. You should. Uh, yeah, you yeah. should plan on it. Well, everybody should be planning to go to all of those places at some point. Yes. I agree. I very much agree. So plan them. Come. <laughs> all right. I mean, thank you. Thank you, you so guys. much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right. So I already had a pretty strong interest in traveling to Cuba, and that's just this. This that conversation just like reinforced it because it's so close to the to travel there from Philadelphia or JFK Airport. It's, I think it's like a three-hour flight. It's so interesting culturally. It has great food. Um, and and now knowing what I know now, and now knowing what I know now, or, yeah, I just yep. said that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I feel really comfortable going there with my wife and baby. Um, there's so many common misconceptions about traveling to Cuba, and I, we wash those away uh, today. I agree. I, I'm really excited to go, too. It's such an easy trip. And it's a little hop, skip, and a jump from anyone on the East Coast, as you said. 
I didn't say it like that, but yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Add a little bit more flavor to the language. Yeah, you did. Well, as always, please give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening, and reach out to us on social media. Uh, check out our website. We've got all of our past episodes on there archived. We've got lots of cool information about us, uh, all of our affiliates, all of our partners. And you know what? We're just looking forward to having you on listening next time. Yeah, thank you. And um, for every rating we get on iTunes, if you screenshot it, Elliot will Venmo you $1. Not true. <laughs> what did you say? Not true. <laughs> you better not edit this out. All right, thank you, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>